The Adam Crowley Show. I mean, I cannot believe the kind of nonsense that I am hearing right now. On ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. Your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call, or you can join the cast of dozens. Follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Brian LaMartina sitting across from me, shirtless Tom behind the glass. Check them out on Twitter, at FBomber73, at ButtonPusher970. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we're doing radio up in here. Mark Cavalli joins us now from the Athletics. Steelers victorious. They move to 2-2-1 two, two and one on the season. Mark, you're clearly in your car. How are you? What's up? I want to know. A que- I got a question. Okay, let's does, hear it. Does Tom wear his shirt behind the glass, or is that just a gimmick for the uh, cheese piece? He absolutely does not wear his shirt behind the glass. He is a shirtless individual. It is warm outside. It's just the way he likes to express himself. You know what? But it's going to be cold pretty soon. Then what? Look, here's the deal, Mark. I don't ask questions because it borders upon unprofessionalism, so we just let him do what he wants to do. All I do know is if you go on Twitter and check out FBomber73 and my subsequent retweet, you will find that Shirtless Tom was running the Steeler game yesterday, running the network without wearing a shirt. Interesting. Thank you for asking the questions. I think the audience wanted to know, so that helps clarify some things. Okay. Does yesterday make anything clearer for you if you are a Steelers fan? No, I mean, I think I was on your show last week and said, you know, we got to see some more from this team. That I do believe they have the talent to put some wins together, uh, like we saw on Sunday against the Falcons. I mean, that's the team we that we would be seeing more often than not. But you know, one game does not make a season, does not make a streak. So, as well as they played on Sunday, I'm quite sure what we saw from the first month. There's a couple of those stinkers left down the road here. The whole question is, can they limit those ones, you know, to one or two to be able to get to enough wins to make the playoffs? That's the big question. You know what they say, man. Uh, uh, you got the ups and the downs, and when you usually have the ups and the downs of a team, it usually means they're not a very good team. They weren't a very good team the first month. Let's see what they can do here now. Big, big three-game stretch over four-game span here. they got to win a couple of these and start with that Cincinnati game. And I don't know if you want to fall, what, three, three, four games behind them? Uh, and you're only a week into October, so it's a pretty important game. So let's say ask me, ask me next Monday and – probably have a better answer of what kind of team this really is going to be. I think that's fair. I do think it's important to note that they got the job done at home for the first time this season, and you got a lot of hard road games coming up, so you had to write the ship there. I think they showed balls. I think they showed some testicular fortitude. So that's all good. On the defensive side of things, before we get to the Wi-Fi and the connection and all that garbage, the defensive side of things, it seemed like Keith Butler just said, you know what, we're getting after the quarterback. I'm going to bring the Blitz a bunch and... It worked. I think he should have done it maybe a little bit more against Baltimore, but I really like the game plan this week, Mark. 
Yeah, you know, it's easy to do that when you're ahead, and they were ahead most of the game. And, you know, I don't know how much blitzes they really brought, as in a number of people. I think I asked Cam Hayward that same thing today. He said, you know, we brought some fours, we brought some fives, we never brought sixes or anything like that. It was just the disguise of them. And you got a perfect quarterback that sits back in the pocket, and he uh, relies on rhythm. So, uh, the you know, secondary helped a lot, but I don't know how much um, – you're going to see this moving forward because, I mean, you still can't afford to, you know, drop, you know, only rush three or four guys. You can't afford to um, send six or seven guys with that secondary. I really think that maybe Keith Butler's trying to figure this out and may have found some things out, what people can do, what people cannot do. I mean, I think it's well, I mean, I think it's extremely, I mean, I think you know it very well from seeing two weeks ago to this week, how much Mike Hilton means to that yes. that pass rush, just being able to come off the edge a little bit. So, um, you know, I, still, you go back to that uh, game, Adam, and, and even though it was a blowout, it still was, what, a 13-10 game at one point. And I think maybe Atlanta had the ball, but I think the big key was that first drive of the Falcons. See what score, put together that seven-play 80-yard drive, that Connor drive, so to speak, because it's all he did was touch the ball, catch the ball, and just run people over. Then Falcons drove, and they got to about the 30-yard line when L.J. Fort made that sack that you brought. And I think that was just a read of what the what the running back did. The running back picked up uh, an inside guy, so he was able to come. So you switch that around. They punch that ball in, make it 7-7, because they were around the 30-yard line at the time. Maybe it's a different game. So it just tells you how, how minute some things are to be able to change games early in games. And the Steelers did that well yesterday because they made that play early, and I think that was a really a catalyst of how they played the entire game. Yeah, you're right about that. Mark Camoli from The Athletic joining us here on the Crowley Show. As for the semantics about blitz, not blitz, what you do when you rush four weird guys is you make the defense think. When you bring five guys, you create one-on-one matchups, and Cam Hayward is going to get double-teamed a lot. Uh, T.J. Watt, he's going to win one-on-one matchups, I think, uh, more so than if he's getting chipped, if there's a tight end in there. So I I like it from that standpoint. Yesterday, because they created the one-on-one matchups, they wound up winning them, and that was probably the difference in the game. Yeah, you have to win the one-on-one matchups. And a lot of times the Steelers can can predict those matchups, or or at least they thought they could predict them with the interior linemen to be able to create, force teams to double-team to it. Or Hayward, and they thought uh, Hargrave would be a guy that'd be able to put some more pressure on the quarterback. But they went a different direction. They're basically using the four down linemen. Two of those are linebackers, and switching out Hayward into it for uh, Alalu and Hargrave, and they're getting pressure that way. But it's, it's, I like the way that they went about it. As in, you you can't always bring. Five or six, like like hey, like I was telling you, Hayward was saying, because then you do expose the back end. But you can't let a guy like Matt Ryan sit there. It's a happy medium. I think it's a perfect way to go about things in the future or the near future, as in next week, because that Falcons offense reminds me exactly of the, the Falcons defense offense. I mean, you got a guy that's going to stay in the pocket. You got a couple big time receivers can stretch the field. You got, you know, not a great offensive line, so I could see the same type of situation playing out this week as well. Does Joe Hayden start to follow the other team's best receiver from here on out? Oh, man, he sure. There's about six of them uh, 
left on their schedule that you said probably yeah that, that might be the best plan yep. starting with uh, you know AJ Green he even got guys like you know Mari Cooper Michael Thomas down the line I think uh, and Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders I mean it just makes things so much easier on the rest of the defense if if he plays that well to be able to cut the field in half, then have the other guy knowing that I am only going to be covering, you know, Calvin Ridley or Mohamed Sanu or whoever it is. It's a lot, it's a lot better to be able to study for one guy rather than multiple guys. You know, but history teaches us, history shows us that he doesn't really stick to that. Last year, I think they only did it once. I think it was just the Hopkins was, game, right? Yeah, the, the Hopkins game. He was coming off of injury that game and, and played pretty well. I, I think you have to take a hard look. Of doing that, as in having Hayden follow him on maybe not every single play, but a majority of them. I think you have to take a hard look at LJ Fort being your third down linebacker, and when Vince Williams is healthy, and not nothing gets Vince, but have him play that Matakavich role that he played Sunday, first and second down. And I think he's obviously better than Matakavich. And all of a sudden, maybe you got something. Morgan Burnett comes back. All of a sudden, there might be a a dollar defense or some kind of crazy defense hybrid type of stuff coming back as well. All of a sudden, you got something going here. I mean, you have to realize this team has barely practiced together as a unit when you throw in Burnett and some of the other injuries. Then you throw on top of that. I mean, these are all excuses, but I think they're viable excuses. Then you throw in Carl Dunbar. You throw in Tom Bradley. Guys are just learning their personnel. It's going to take some time. So if they play like they did Sunday, I think they're more than capable of winning in Cincinnati and more than capable of winning eight to ten games. But like you said earlier, got to see it a couple more times before we just say this is the way it's going to be. Mark Abali from The Athletic joining us here on the Crowley Show. I think it's the best game we saw from the offensive line all year, and not coincidentally, it's as good as James Conner has looked. So that seems to be a recipe for me, Mark. If you can do one thing great, if you can do one thing well even, then everything else sort of falls in lockstep. The play-action game became more of a factor in yesterday's game. I'd love to see them run the football more effectively. I'd like to see them stay committed to running the football. I think it changes everything. Uh, once again, it's easy to commit the run to the game when you're up. 14, I mean, you know, when you're up 7 nothing, 14 nothing, or something but they were like up, that. But they were up because they ran the ball, though. Ha-ha. Yeah, they were up. But if, if they come out of that first drive and have James Conner not running through people, running over people, and, you know, he doesn't account for like 60 of those 75 yards, do they stick to it? Probably not. Well, I think the worst fear right now is for the Steelers. This has to have to do with the, the running game is, what if James Conner does have another good game in Cincinnati and offensive line pushes him around? Guess who shows up on Monday? All of a sudden, when you get things a little bit ironed out, here comes um, Mr. Bell to throw a little wrench into it that might throw things off kilter a little bit. So I know that's looking a week or so, oh, a week from today, basically, down the line, but that could be an issue as well. I don't know what you do right there. I mean, myself, I'd probably – throw Le'Veon Bell in there and have James Conner spell him, but whatever it is, it's just, it seems like when everything's going to be lined up for them to make a run, number 26 somehow throws a little wrenching in it, and it's all set up for that this, I mean, this week, it's what it seems like to me. It is, and they've always really historically done a good job running the ball against Cincinnati in Cincinnati, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Mark, as for the Wi-Fi connection, it still ain't perfect, man. First half was bad. It was brutal, and I know they're making steps. It was as good as it's looked all year, but 
I think it's not close to really being what it can be, what it has been. No, I'm like, it was so, I'm not going to say frustrating because I don't care that much to be frustrated over a football game, but it has to be frustrating <laughs> in their eyes to see what I saw from the top, you know, the, the press box, and that was Antonio Brown being single covered all the time. I mean, there wasn't any safety over top because there wasn't any safety there. They, they were playing press man on him. With, there's no way that one high safety was going to get over there, and Roethlisberger would not even look at him. Mm. In the past, you see that right now, and I would say whoever's next to me and says, here's the throw to Antonio, because every time you saw it, I mean, it's, you don't have to be, you know, um, an aeronautical engineer to figure out if Antonio Brown was one-on-one with a guy where there's no way a safety gets over there. Guess where I'm throwing the ball at? That happened for the past six, seven years. It didn't happen again until, what, midway through the third in the fourth quarter where that happened and finally he threw to him. Maybe that is a jumping off for the point for this. But there were times there, Adam, I'm like, why in the world won't he even look at him? It was like, I mean, I know Roethlisberger wouldn't do this. He's a Hall of Fame guy. Early in that game, it looked like he was throwing bad passes to Antonio on purpose. <laughs> and honestly, I know he wouldn't do that, but that's how bad he was throwing the ball early in that game. You got to get those two if they're going to single up high like that. You got to just exploit, exploit, exploit. They did a, a little bit last uh, on Sunday, but not to the. That should have been a 250 yard game from Antonio Brown. To be honest with you. Yeah, no kidding. And the one that he looped over AB's head, he'd still be running today. Mark, I do hope that you know that during the course of that answer, you said aeronautical engineer. So that doesn't what make any sense. What is, what is Where's Josh Dobbs? I can't remember. He's an aerospace engineer because, you know, air and space go together. You tell tell me there is no such thing as an aeronautical engineer? I would bet you a million dollars that there's not because, you know, aero. That's why you went to to West Virginia and I went to Cal U. Aero would imply the air of some sort, yes, and nautical would imply in the water. Aeronautical engineer is 1,000% a thing. No! I'm looking it up right now. It's relating to the science or practice of building or flying aircrafts. Oh, you know what? Uh, Wait, Tom did you say aerospace or aeronautical? Right aeronautical. You know no! Listen, listen, listen to me already. Tom, when you put that thing together at the end of the show, the top three things, make sure you put this number one if Adam's screwing up. <laughs> done and done. Goodbye, Mark. <laughs> Bye. See ya, Mark Caballi, the athletic. Oh, man, I thought I had him looking dumb. You've never heard the term aeronautical engineer? I've heard aerospace. I thought aeronautical sounded like a, a, it sounded like it was a contradiction. You mean like air and sea? Is that what you're thinking? Yes. I got you. Yes. You're wrong. I am. (laughs) And I was trying to make him look dumb, and I'm an idiot. And Mark, by the way, it's three stars of the show. Look, that, see, now he sounded dumb. Yeah, he was there, you yeah. there you go. Yeah. The three things? No, it's the three stars of the show there, man. In your face, Kaboli. Yeah, Boom. suck it, man. <laughs> Coming up next, Mike Tomlin was uncharacteristically pissed about the penalty calls in this game. I'm pissed about my being dumb. It's Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Oh, he went from the bottom. I give up, man. If you're not gonna be honest about it, I give. John, Thanks my nipple looks on. like my nipple looks like my cat, like a like my cat's nipple. <laughs> Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Mike Sullivan was uncharacteristically pissed about the penalty calls in this game. Wait a minute. 
minute. Did I hear that right? I, he said say, Sullivan. He said Sullivan, right? That sounded doctored. That's not authentic. Play it again, Tom. Mike Sullivan was uncharacteristically pissed about the penalty calls in this game. It flows. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean it flows? Listen. Mike Sullivan was uncharacteristically pissed about the penalty calls in this right. game. I was right. You said Mike Sullivan. Uh, this is bull. I'm being framed. What? Are you suggesting that Tom took his voice and put it in there to prove his his uh, accusation that you said Mike Sullivan when you were supposed to be saying Mike Tomlin? Is yeah. that what you're accusing Tom of? It's an outrageous accusation. Because I... you can't just throw accusations around without proof, my friend. Do you think I just mess with audio back here all day long? No. What you get back from me is the raw, unfiltered stuff right from the horse's mouth. And what did the horse sound like, Tom? Mike Sullivan was uncharacteristically pissed about the penalty there calls in go. this game. That's evidence. You know what? My integrity has never been called into question before, and neither has Tom's. And transparency is the number one virtue of the Crowley show. I trust Tom more than I trust anybody in this world. I guess I messed up. I mean, you can I, hear it. I don't understand why it took you so long to, to admit your mistake here. Mike Sullivan was uncharacteristically pissed about the penalty calls in this game. Clearly not doctored at all. You're usually the one radio host in town that is excited to admit that when he was wrong. Because it's like, oh, I'm transparent. It's our virtue of our show, you know? Not everybody who's talking sports on the radio knows what they're talking about 100% of the time. And that's what I liked about you. But then here you go. Mike I just, Sullivan I just was took uncharacteristically it. pissed well, about you the penalty calls it for in this game. I did. I did. Because I, I thought, you know, after the aeronautics engineer thing went down, my Aer ego. Aeronautical engineer. Not aeronautics engineer. After that <laughs> F up before, I was loath to admit that I was wrong again, and now I've been wrong a third time. So I was just trying to do a good radio show. I was just trying to tease the topic coming up, which is that Mike Sullivan was uncharacteristically pissed about the penalty calls in this game. <laughs> Mike Tomlin. Did I do it again? Yeah. Second time? Yeah. Do you have the audio of Mike Tomlin being uncharacteristically mad? <laughs> Do I have that audio? Yeah. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I do? Yeah. It's on the cut sheet, Tom. Yeah. Last night's Steelers game. Tom, you worked the games. You have the audio. You played it in the post game. I kind of thought that you would pull it whenever I said I was going to talk about Mike Sullivan being uncharacteristically pissed after the game yesterday. And yet, here we are, you having not pulled the audio. Uh, but it's me. I'm the one who screws up. I can't even call the right coach by the right name. To be fair, the Mike Sullivan audio... Of how he yeah, was upset about the Steeler game yesterday, he does not have. I don't see that anywhere here. Might be some Mike Tomlin. Here's the though. Tomlin, though. I got that. Those look like legitimate calls. We got to be better there. But some of the other stuff, man, is a joke. We, we got to get better as a National Football League. Man, these penalties are costing people games and jobs. Uh, we we got to get them correct. And um, so I'm pissed about it, to be quite honest with you. But that's all I'm going to say on it. That's Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's usually loathed. <laughs> to not turn his microphone off. I mean, what's happening over there, Brian? Sorry. <laughs> We're a well-oiled machine. We're a professional. Radio. We're a well-oiled machine. Not only is Tom, is Tom crying laughing over I think there. So. I really did look down and thought my mic was off. You not only did you cough, you look, you looked right, you coughed right into the microphone. Sorry, I thought I was off. I really did. All right, Tom, bring up the mic, Tom, and audio again. We'll reset the segment. He was pissed. Those look like legitimate calls. We got to be better there. But some of the other stuff, man, is a joke. 
we, we got to get better as a National Football League. Man, these penalties are costing people games and jobs. Uh, we we got to get them correct. And um, so I'm pissed about it, to be quite honest with you. But that's all I'm going to say on <laughs> That's Mike Tomlin. He's usually loath to criticize officials after the game. He typically talks about the Steelers controlling what they control. If we do what we do, it doesn't matter what the officials do. It doesn't matter if there's a bad review. It doesn't matter if things don't go our way. If we're a good enough football team, we are going to come out of the stadium with the victory. But Tomlin's kind of been warming up to this all season. He's also on the competition committee. After the Tampa game, where there were 22 penalties and four roughing the passer calls, Tomlin said he was worried about the entertainment value of the games. But after this one, as we heard now twice, he wasn't able to hold his tongue. In the second quarter, T.J. Watt rolled towards the knees of Matt Ryan. But he very clearly put his hands up and tried to stay out of his legs. That, to me, if the referee doesn't make the call, is the call working, right? That's the rule having a positive effect on the game, so long as they don't call the penalty. The league, the owners, they want the quarterbacks to be protected. That's why these flags are being thrown. And that was T.J. Watt, by the letter of the law, allowing the rules to protect the quarterback, and he still gets flagged. It was a mistake. I would not be surprised if the National Football League comes out and says it was a mistake. I would not be surprised if T.J. Watt isn't fined. Because usually, when you get that flag thrown, you're going to get fined. It's just the way that it goes. I would not be surprised if they say, you know what, we didn't have the best angle at that one. Because from the other side, it could look like he was rolling into him. But he did everything he could to get out of the way. This is the system working. Watt's attempt to get out of the way is exactly what they should want to be happening. That's why Tomlin was so pissed he popped his pee. Later in the third quarter... John Bostick was called for unnecessary roughness after he sacked Matt Ryan and fell back down on him while trying to get up. Now, it is Matty Ice. Perhaps he's slippery. He falls on him. I get that. But it's still a bad call. I looked to both of you because I thought that was a good joke. But I can see why they would make the other mistake. The Bostick penalty? Use some freaking common sense. He's trying to get up and he falls back down. He's not driving a guy's head into the turf. There was absolutely no malice there whatsoever. Now, the Steelers were still penalized too much for my liking. They have been all season long. Bud Dupree had two hands-to-the-face penalties. That can't happen. The defense was playing so damn well, and you give him 30 free yards. But Tallinn is right to be upset about those two calls. On a day that the Steelers' defense was as good as it's been, you help Atlanta's offense out if you're the referees with 30 free yards. But I think it goes a little bit further than what other people have discussed. I'm the crowd man, and I bring nuance to the airwaves. And I call coaches by the wrong name, and I don't know what an aeronautical space engineer is. I'm sure it feels personal to Tomlin, too. Because many in the media continue to harp on him not having his team disciplined enough when it comes to penalties. They quote stats. They throw it in his face. These numbers could back come back to bite the team, but they could also come back to be used against Tomlin. It has to drive him bonkers. This team was called for this many penalties. This team was called for that many penalties. The Steelers were called for this many penalties today. Those two should not have been called. And I actually think Mike Tomlin has done a good enough job coaching them up 
to know to do the right thing in those circumstances, that he should be lauded for those as opposed to being ripped for it, which maybe he eventually will when people look at the statistics blanket instead of zooming in and seeing what actually happened penalty by penalty. You think about T.J. Watt. He's coming in, he's coming in low, and he dives out of the way. That's him having a clear understanding of the rule. That's Mike Tomlin teaching him his job. That's Mike Tomlin doing a great job. The Bostic thing, he's trying to get up. It's Matty Ice. Slippery. Second time not better than the first? That's okay. What were your thoughts on those two penalties? 412-922-2874. And can you see why Mike Tomlin would be so angry about them for personal reasons? Because I absolutely can. 412-922-2874. At underscore Adam Crowley on the Twitter.com. I don't want to be critical here. Sometimes media can go over the top. That's not my style. But the AFC is a dumpster fire of burning feces. That is just terrible. Kansas City's 5-0. They're clearly the class of the conference right now. But then the Bengals come in at 4-1. After that, it's New England, Baltimore, Jacksonville, Los Angeles, Miami. The Titans, all at 3-2. Then Pittsburgh and Cleveland at 2-2-1. Steelers aren't in a terrible position. They'd like to be better. But I'm guessing so would New England and Baltimore. The Steelers tied the Browns. The Ravens lost to them. The Patriots were blown the frig out by the Lions. We do this thing as fans and as media where we all zoom in on the team that we cover or are a fan of, and all of their problems look bigger than the problems of the rest of the league. Well, most teams are dealing with problems right now, too. Kansas City, despite how good they are, have a terrible defense that's going to cost them at some point. Jacksonville, with its great defense, has a putrid offense. New England's defense isn't any good. Baltimore put up 26 points against the Steelers, then put up nine in Cleveland. The Bengals are four and one, but in pure NFL fashion could easily be one and four. Think about it. The Colts were driving late to take the lead. They fumble the football. They cough it up against the Bengals. The Falcons, they give up a last second score against them. And then they just needed to score 24 in the fourth quarter this week to beat the Dolphins at home. Being able to do that's important. But having to do it is an issue. How about the Titans? They had their chance to get to 4-1 and one against the lowly Bills. They dropped the touchdown in the end zone and lost in a last-second field goal. No team is per- perfect. I'm not perfect, clearly. If the Steelers win next week and move to 3-2-1, and one, they'll be a half game back in the division with a chance to play the division leader one more time at home. They'll have the Browns at home after the bye week with a chance to move to 4-2-1. and one. This team has problems. But I think 9-6-1 and one will get the Steelers into the playoffs over 9-7 and seven teams, and I think there might be one or two of those in the AFC. If they go 7-4 and four the rest of the way, I think it gets them in. It's daunting with the schedule, but the rest of the AFC has to be thinking similarly, right? we got to do this. we got to do that. We gotta, hey, if you get to nine wins, you get in the playoffs. But you want to talk about must-wins? This last one was pretty darn important. How about the one coming up against Cincinnati? Steelers have dominated, dominated the Browns at Paul Brown Stadium throughout the years. And the Steelers just played their best game of the season. If you are a Bengals fan, you've got to be thinking, oh my God, we're great, this is awesome, it's the best team I can remember. And then all of a sudden, here come the Steelers. They figured it out right before they got to come to Paul Brown. And the Escaloser getting warmed up. Devin, what's up, man? What's going on? You tell me. Either he doesn't show up on the stat sheet or he wrecks 
Your phone Andrew. sucks, Devin. I love you, but your phone sucks. Goodbye. So sorry. Never had to do that before. He was going to say TJ Watt's weird because he'll show up in one game on the stat sheet, then not show up for two weeks, then he'll show up again. Yeah, that's the truth. The great sign is he'll show up at all, and while Bud Dupree is better than people think, we don't see him make impact plays very often. We never saw Jarvis Jones make impact plays. Never! So, while T.J. Watt is inconsistent, while he only seems to make plays every now and again, he's got it in him. Those guys don't. Those guys, one's a bust and one is a serviceable NFL player nothing more. I just answered Devin's question. We don't need to put him back on the air. Maybe we can put him on next segment if he's got something cool to talk about. 412-922-2874. Coming up next, the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. And maybe we'll hear from Devin. Maybe. If his phone doesn't suck, it's Crowley Show. Sally Wigan likes him, and so should you. Adam, I think I think having millennials on the radio is awesome. I don't hate you. God. Adam Crowley. My dogs listen to you when I walk <laughs> out the door. On ESPN Pittsburgh. We'll get to the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined in a to be determined amount of time. First, though, this Penguins defense. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. It's so bad that Ricola is getting minutes with Jamie Alexiak, it looks like, on the bottom pair for the Penguins. At least that's what the look is in practice. The popular opinion about that is it's two games in let them try to figure it out with the players you thought were good enough to start the season to that I say aha I disagree I think you send a message I wasn't worried about game one I'm still not all that worried after game two even though the defense has been atrocious but I don't mind Mike Sullivan saying if you ain't gonna play defense If you're not going to do what we ask of you, if you're not going to make the little simple plays, we're going to put someone in there who will. It doesn't mean that Olimata is going to be benched for the entirety of the season. It doesn't mean he's going to miss a couple of games. But at least put the threat in the head of these dudes that you got to do what we're asking of you. There are people who have said, Antonio Brown needs to be sat down, he needs to be disciplined, that are also saying Olimata should not be sat down. And I think that that's... It's a little interesting to me. Just a tad, right? Now, Olimata hadn't done stuff off the ice. AB has. But I think that for Olimata, you got to sit him down for a minute. And it's not even just about Oli, it's about everyone. Guys, commit to defense. Play the right way. We've got the talent to score anyhow. Come on. It's early. But the way that they talked about the first game, Crosby, Sullivan, they talk about anchoring it down, and they didn't. When you talk about a point of emphasis and don't get it done, it concerns me a bit, and that's why you make a move. Too many high-risk plays, too many bad pinches. They're not careful enough with the puck. And this just in, too, I'm not going to start harping on this yet because I don't want to get the flurry people. They should have kept flurry, Tom. 
But Matt Murray, according to advanced metrics, has given up five more goals than a replacement goalie would have, according to those statistics. That was redundant. This isn't a huge deal yet, but it's a problem worth monitoring. Crosby said after game one, it's better to work on these things when you win. Well, they didn't win, so now it comes to the forefront just a little bit quicker. Hey, Flurry Apologist, what time is it? And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Jason Garrett has no balls. He punted in overtime on a fourth and a half a yard. NFL coaches are more conservative than Brett Kavanaugh. Too soon? I mean, what a spineless little hack. Jerry Jones, who loves Jason Garrett because he can stick his hand up his ass and operate him with controls, he criticized him after the game saying, yeah, I'd have gone for it there. Why don't you step down on the sideline, though? Mr. Jones? He's right, though. If you go for it, You've got a chance to win. You punt it, all they need is a field goal. Dumb, Tom. But who are we kidding here? Jerry Jones has a direct line into Jason Garrett's headset from his booth. Like, he just picks up a phone and goes, What are you doing, you idiot? Call timeout and send out the Dak Prescott. Run that QB option like Penn State did and get this first down. Yeah, I think Jerry got clever in the booth with a few drinks. Called that down there. He's like, (laughs) You're going to take the heat for this. It's on you, Jason. You better hope this works. Yeah. Here's my idea. You better hope this works. <laughs> Jerry Jones drinks scotch that's older than the women he sleeps with. I've seen it happen. Sean McVay, the opposite of Jason Garrett. McVay is like that Simpsons meme where he just walks in. No, I think it's it's not Simpsons. It's South Park meme where he just walks in with his sack in a wheelbarrow. He was going to punt the ball back to the Seahawks late in the game, but he was swayed by his team to go for it on fourth and short. Goff got the first down on the QB sneak, and he went bonkers. That's what's up. These dudes love Sean McVay. Did you hear after the game? I think it was Todd Gurley. I might be wrong here. It was one of the Rams players that said, we've got the best head coach in football, and that's why. Because he takes our opinion into account. And he did the high percentage play to win a game as opposed to punting it and say, uh, let's see what happens. No, we make a play to win the game. That's why Sean McVay is considered one of the best in the National Football League, and Jason Garrett has no flipping balls. The Broncos gave up over 300 yards on the ground. Soft. I never see a bunch of athletes as soft like that. Michelle Terry. How does that happen? Are you going to fire the coach on the field? 300 rushing yards at college? Do you think the no-fly zone sees that? And just wants to throw themselves in front of traffic? I mean, seriously. This once-proud defense goes on the road to the New York football Jets. All you need to do to win that game is stop the run. And they can't even do it. Alex Ovechkin's better than Crosby. Mason Crosby. He missed five kicks. Five. 
missed five? He missed four, but he missed one that was called back due to a timeout or something. Oh, my God. How does that happen? How's he not cut right now? Because he's Mason Crosby. It cost him the game. Duh. (laughs) There's 15 points. And walking off the field, Aaron Rodgers had his arm around Mason Crosby. What a leader. What a teammate. What a guy. What a friend. What a mensch. Either that or he's whispering something in his ear like, you better make this next GD kick, dude. Like, you suck, bro. Get it together. When Peyton Manning's team, the Colts, in 2005, lost to the Steelers because Mike Vanderjack pushed it wide, he called him the idiot kicker. That's not leadership. But you're right, he probably was whispering something awful in his ear. Meanwhile, this is all about contrast, right? Jason Garrett has no balls. Sean McVay has all the balls. Mason Crosby can't put balls through the upright. Meanwhile, Graham Gano kicked the ball through from 63 yards out for the Panthers to beat the Giants. Saquon Barkley jumped through the air to lead the Giants to victory, and he lands awkwardly and hurts himself. Stu Gotts, I'm going to steal his opinion from the Dan Lebitard show. He said that You've got all these players out there doing everything that they possibly can to win these football games, including risking life and limb, and it all comes down to a kicker kicking it 63 yards through the upright. Saquon Barkley jumps 40 feet in the air, lands down and twists an ankle, but Graham Gano, he can wipe that all away and make it meaningless by kicking one through from 63 yards out. Hey, you can just call the Eagles Zach Galifianakis because they're in full hangover mode. They dropped a 2-3 and three on the season. You see, Adam Thielen became the first wide receiver in the history of the league to have 100 yards in the first five games of the year. Tom, name a receiver. Uh, Anthony Brown. He hasn't done it. Name Leo another Jones. one. Jerry Rice. No. Randy Moss. No. Terrell Owens. No. Antoine Randall No. Heinz Ward. No. I'm done. I can't name receivers anymore. <laughs> Your point stands. It is bizarre that you would go from the unquestionably three of the four greatest wide receivers of all time and then jump immediately to Antoine Randall. It's also bizarre how, honestly, off the top of my head, I probably think about 15 different receivers on a day-to-day basis, and when I'm on the spot, I can't think of one. Chris Carter. No. The guy who works for DK? That guy hasn't done it either. guy who wrote X-Files? Not him either. Don't scully his name. That's a great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. Woo. John tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. How long until McVay is criticized for being a player's coach who celebrates with his players uh, after they lose? I mean, last year they weren't supposed to be good. They were very good. This year they're the best team in football. You could be a player's coach. You could be a cheerleader, and no one calls you one unless you lose or you're black. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, where'd that come from? Shots fired. Holy hell, jeez. <laughs> I don't know how that got in there, but it sure as hell wanted to make its way out. <laughs> Brian, did you have an X-Files joke? It looked like I stepped on what perhaps could have been a very good X-Files joke. Uh, see, now you come back to it. I was. You I, don't need to tell it, but I just I feel like I no, let you I down. No, I did. I, I had a good, uh, I was like, that was a great segment. I'll have to molder that over. Yeah! <laughs> Sorry. W- wish you would have let him say it after the segment. That was a great joke. Your Scully joke was good, too. Thank you. Yeah, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Do you know why John Bostick got penalized for slipping on Matty Ice? 
Uh, no, Adam, why? Huh. Oh, damn it. This I'm... is a real thinker. Is it because ice is slippery? I screwed it up. I, <laughs> I put the punchline in the body of the joke. Yeah, that's the only way you could get out of that one. Darn it. Because ice is slippery, man. The frozen tundra of Matt Ryan. Okay, time for this segment, Dad. Coming up next, McVay has balls. Garrett doesn't. And the Steelers, they join the ranks of the bald men. <laughs> this is a Crowley show. <laughs>